Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to leverage the four rules of smart budgeting to help grow your startup. Today, we have our guest, Jesse Leacham, joining us. Jesse is the founder, CEO, and best-selling author of You Need a Budget, which is not only an award-winning software and proven budgeting tool, but also an education company where they teach people a whole new way of thinking about their money so they make better financial decisions, get out of debt, and build the life they want. So welcome, Jesse. Glad to have you on our show today. Thanks, Akil. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. For, so for those of us who, don't, who haven't seen what you've built, uh, can you describe what is You Need a Budget platform and how it can help our audience with their personal or business finances? Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we started out as a spreadsheet way, way long ago, but we quickly pivoted from there and uh, we're now uh, a web app, you know, mobile apps. Uh, we're even on Alexa. You can ask Alexa how much you have left in your groceries category to spend, and, and she'll tell you. Um, but we're we're really a a methodology of how you should think about your money, and then we've wrapped software around that to just you know leverage all the power we get from technology to implement that method as as smoothly and seamlessly and effectively as possible. So I see us first as an education company, but we pay the bills by selling software. By turning it to software. Makes sense. Um, So you first developed uh, the first stages of the the business in 2004 while you're still, I think, studying your master's in accounting. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you said you created a a budgeting spreadsheet and you took that and made it to what it is. Can you share the story of how you decided uh, you know, take that spreadsheet, build it to the company at that time. What was the, the thought pattern and, and how you thought yeah. of building it? Yeah, I mean, there was no there was no vision here for sure. It was um, my wife and I were newly married and young, and uh, we decided to have a baby fairly quickly. So we were going to be young parents as well. Um, and we we really just wanted Julie, my wife, to be able to stay home and and just focus on the, this incoming baby. That was that was like number one for us. So. I still had to finish my master's degree. I had two years left still. Um, and I was working part-time trying to keep my grades up, but you know, you run into, you just run into time constraints and brain constraints. And, and I thought, well, maybe I could sell this little budget spreadsheet that she and I had been using for the first year of our marriage. It had worked well for us. We'd been able to save some money, not enough to not have this harebrained idea, but we, it had been working. And so I just kind of thought, well, Hey, Julie, what if, what if I sold this just put it out there, you know, and um, we really just needed to make like 350 bucks a month. That would, that would pay our rent. We had dirt cheap rent because we were in a, in a really horrible apartment, but it was mm-hmm. cheap. So we, we, that was it. It was like, if I can make 350 bucks, we're, we're golden. I can get through school, become an accountant and do all that. Um, and so that's what we did. And the spreadsheet didn't really start selling until I realized we had a method that the spreadsheet was implementing. When I when I pivoted to start talking about the framework, the thinking behind it, the why, then people started buying a little, a little spreadsheet. You know, I mean, maybe it took me, I don't know, 200 hours to develop something really nice and polished, but um, nothing compared to what you would do for just you know, the most basic apps these days. So um, it was a way for me to get an MVP out there before that acronym had been invented, I think. Um, but what happened was about a year and a half in, we realized that um, we could probably fund actual software development. And so mm-hmm. I had met a guy uh, down in Austin um, and he, you know, he's like, hey, I can help 
improve your spreadsheet? And I said, well, no, let's, let's build real software, you know? So at that time, real software was a windows only desktop app. And that's exactly what we did. But, uh, that, you know, one step after another, just iterating on that, that first MVP of just a spreadsheet that let us know we had a good idea because the thinking behind it was pretty good. And then from there, we were able to get the tech to kind of catch up. Was it a, a blog at the time that you had as a platform? And did you already have an audience that you built up before you launched that spreadsheet to sell? Or was it, uh, no, you know, I had the yeah, spreadsheet flipped and, around. Flipped around. So you had yeah, the, I, the spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah, I started with the spreadsheet, didn't even know that there was a word that was blog at the time. Um, and then I realized, you know, this was this is earlier days. So SEO was, I would say, easier back then. Um, YouTube wasn't around, apps weren't around. And so uh, WordPress was starting to be a little bit of a thing. And I remember taking our straight HTML pages and then moving them all to WordPress where I thought, oh, this is kind of handy. Um, and that's where I started seeing like, oh, the writing, the content that can be a marketing engine for us. So we did quickly, I mean, within, I'd say a year and a half, I moved to where I was writing as my main form of marketing. Um, and that we, that's still to this day where we're, you know, focusing on content before anything else really. Makes sense. And I think your, your core kind of message, would you talk about is your four rules of budgeting. Um, can you share what those four are, you know, to our audience, what do you recommend? And if that applies to business owners as well or SaaS founders? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, out of the gate, the, the rules apply in business, personally, uh, rich, poor, everything in between it, they work. Uh, they just help you make better financial decisions. So the, the first rule is to give every dollar a job. What founders especially would need to realize is if you're saying you want to use your money here, you're by definition saying you won't use it over there. And sometimes we don't like to be presented with trade-offs. We just want to say, well, I want that and that and that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like a Thanksgiving dinner. Like after a while, you have to start being picky and focus on the things you really want. You know, you just can't have it all. And in, in money, we just pretend that there aren't these trade-offs. And so what this framework is doing is essentially saying, uh, give money here to this job. And by definition, you can't over here. And that helps to flesh out the founder's priorities uh, personally or in business. If we were just to talk about business for a moment, it would just be recognizing, okay, here's where we need to go all in. And it gives you this focus, like, is this the priority? Is this what this cash really needs to be used for? When um, you have what you pretend to be uh, infinite funds where you aren't making those trade-offs, then the real priorities never really get surfaced. Um, you mm -hmm. kind of think you can just do all these things and then none of them really work very well. So that's rule one. The other rules are just functions of that rule. So rule two is essentially to look ahead to larger, less frequent expenses and then break them up into monthly amounts, monthly bills. So mm -hmm. if you have, uh, you know, we, we renew with some big SaaS product, I'm sure just the other day, and it's an annual contract, we save money going annual, but it's something that I want to make sure we have money sitting there for when it comes. Mm -hmm. um, people do this with the holiday spending, they do this with, with vacations, provided we could go on vacations, things like mm -hmm. that, you know? So, um, what this does is when you're then presented with rule one again, where you're giving every dollar a job, you are saying, well, do I want to buy this thing now? Or do I want to set this money aside for that future thing later? On the, a personal example would be, you know, your buddies say, hey, you want to go for this, like, uh, go out to sushi or something. Mm -hmm. You could say, well, how much is in my checking account? And then say, okay, I'll go, which is horrible. Or you could say, well, I'll go, I'll, you know, add some money to my restaurant category and I'll take it from my uh, Christmas gift category. 
And now you're looking at like your four-year-old daughter and you're saying, well, do you want to take away your daughter's gift? And I know it's extreme, but the idea is that you have these trade-offs that are always happening. Mm-hmm. And that's what, we, that's what we're trying to get people to do is just be able to make these decisions with the best information they have possible. So you're never really probably trading off between going out to sushi or your daughter's gifts. But, uh, <laughs> I like the example. So the third rule is that you can change your mind and, and founders should be very comfortable with this. It's weird we have to make it a rule. But uh, you learn something new and you change. You think, you know, you do the best with the information you have on hand. And then when you get new information, you change. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a coach does that. How, you know, they come in there with a perfect game plan, doing their very best. And as soon as the ball's snapped, the ball's kicked, whatever it is, then they're immediately assessing new information and integrating that into their plan. And so with budgeting, People like to think, oh, well, I've said I'm only going to spend this much. So just, you know, I'm only going, they just stick there rapidly. And what we're trying to say is, well, no, if you, you met, you did the best you could with the information you had, now that you have something else happening, you know, change it around a little bit. It's your plan, you know, do whatever you want. Um, and finally, our, our last and final rule and founders will appreciate this because you talk a lot about burn rate and how long can we go on this, this funding and things like that. Um, we want individuals, businesses, especially at this time where uh, you have businesses that are hanging on by a thread or couldn't hang on. Um, We want people to be living on at least 30 days of money. So a dollar you spend today, you would not have brought in uh, yesterday, you would have brought it in 30, 45, 60 days before. So we talk about aging your money as the rule. We want them with the dollar you spend to be older, right? And um, all those things help you essentially those three rules help you make better decisions. Well, the first two. The third one is to change your mind so you can improve your decision. And the fourth one is to give you room to make those decisions where you aren't just right on the wire. When, you know, when things get stressful and, and you get down to zero uh, and you run out of time, you know, decision quality can really suffer. So that fourth rule gives us room to breathe and think. So that's it in, in a nutshell. We, ha- we have, I mean, all we talk about is those four rules in some form or fashion. We've been doing it for 16 years. Makes sense. Yeah, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about those maybe points two and three, and then I want to ask you a follow up question on that. So, for example, yeah. I'm a SaaS founder. Um, I have fifty thousand uh, dollars, you know, dedicated to budgeted for tech. Okay, that's my development team. I'm going to hire a developer, and then I have fifty thousand say dedicated to marketing. Now, I think what you're saying is okay. Now we have a trade. That's how you're kind of balancing off your trade off. You have a hundred thousand dollars. You're going to put it to work, fifty k each, fifty fifty. That's what you decided to do. And then somebody comes to you and says, hey, I've got this, uh, you know, I can show you how we can get a cost per acquisition to, to LTV value payback period of, let's get 10 to 1. But you're going to have to invest, uh, you know, another 50000 Now you're like, okay, mm-hmm. or say 30000 So now I have to say, okay, am I going to take it away from my, my product and now focus it on marketing? Now you have to make that decision. Uh, okay, so now you take thirty k here, you put it into marketing. Now you're putting eighty k here for the next year. Now you're finding you're getting weight. Let's say the results are now double of what you expected. So you're saying rule number three is, okay, now you might have to find more money. Maybe you have to take, yeah. you know, right? I think that's really, yeah. okay, maybe it's not 80K. Maybe I need to, to double this and, and put triple this, right? Because absolutely. why not be flexible, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what's important is you ran out of money. So running mm-hmm. out of money made you have to come to the decision. Uh, there, a, a, found, or a, a speaker that I listened to the other day, he said, awareness is the point of decision. So if we aren't aware of where the money is going, we don't make decisions. We're just, we're just reacting. I wouldn't call that a decision at all. But what mm-hmm. you're saying is you get new information, 
you're yeah. seeing that the resources are finite and finite resources are a boon to a founder. It makes them mm. creative. It makes them hustle. Uh, it, there's some stress there for sure, but <laughs> solutions are squeezed out of scarcity. I love the idea of short runways. Um, I love the idea of personal money because it's higher stakes. I like all of that that forces people to be squeezed into where they're like, okay, I, you know, it's sink or swim situation. I think really good things come out of that stuff. So a lot of constraints pressed onto you. Um, how long do you, so you said short term. So now if I'm, I'm trying to plan for my 100K budget, do you suggest, you know, one year in advance? Some people say five-year plan or is that kind of a, you know, a waste of time? I think five years, I mean, man, <laughs> like you and I, we, we could sit here, we could record what we think will happen for five in five years and then we'll watch it in five years and we'll just laugh hysterically, right? That's so true. I, I'm no futurist. I love reading that stuff because it's highly entertaining. But uh, I, I think a year out, you're solid, you know? Um, I'll tell you this, more often than not, we'll, we always will make an annual budget, an annual plan, think through. You gotta, you gotta as the business gets larger, the, stip, the, the ship is a little tougher to turn on a dime, right? So you need to be thinking a little further out. Um, but I ha more often than not, around June, we're making not immaterial changes to that plan. So mm -hmm. we lasted six months. As it relates to org charts specifically and like where people should be and how that should look, I always just tell the team, any org chart decision you make, you just, you're just, the bar to clear is, is this decision good enough for six months out? Because if you tried to think, well, in three years, you'll never decide how to put anyone anywhere. But if the bar is six months and then everyone kind of recognizes, okay, we're making a change and it has to last at least six months, we're good. You know, it keeps, keeps you moving. So I like that short-term horizon because anyone that thinks they know longer than, you know, three, four years, boy. I'd want to meet him and have him on my board, I guess. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> I like that, that six-month range. That's a, that's a, that sounds like a perfect number. Um, how do you differentiate your product from you know, some of the other tools out there, right? You have Mint, you have Personal Capital, you know, they offer free services, yeah. investment checkups, and you know, analyzer tools. Obviously, you have some more uh, features around it. I'd love to hear a little bit more about them. Yeah. Yeah, one is, I mean, one part is we're just rapidly focused on the one thing. We just want you to be able to make better financial decisions in the moment instead of looking at your checking account balance and saying can i afford this which is a stressful question for people and and couples to answer uh, simultaneously sometimes when they're you know evaluating different decisions but um the the idea of deciding what you can spend based on how much is in your checking account balance doesn't work and so the first thing we do is just build that awareness around the actual uses for that pile of money in the checking account what should it really be used for um, mint is more of a, and mint is, is okay. It's, and so is personal capital in the sense that you can get kind of a holistic view, like a mm -hmm. snapshot, a moment in time. It does great, but they're not forward looking like, like intentional tools where you're saying, I, I intend to do this. I intend to do that. I mean, mint a lot of the time you have, it's more of a look back and kind of say, well, we spent, uh, I mean, how many times if you've used Mint, and, I, and I've obviously like for competitive reasons, I, I poked around there years and years ago when they launched. But um, mm -hmm. you know, how like who hasn't had the experience where you log in a mint and you're like, oh, I shouldn't eat out so much. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, it's too late. The money's gone. You know, if yeah. you do that again the next month, oh, I shouldn't have eaten out that much. You know, it's like, well, when are we going to start changing behavior? So we're focused on changing people's behavior. Um, and one other side note: the idea of mint or personal capital being free is it's they don't require the consumer to pay for them, but they, I wouldn't necessarily, if I was being 
stingy with the word free. I don't think I would use free. I think I just, they're monetized in a different of way. Of course. Of course, they always are. Yeah, whether your information, your data, or they'll upsell you at some point, right? So yeah, and we yeah. we've I find it I I'm very comforted by the fact that when someone gives me eighty four dollars to use my software for a year, that they know that that's the end. Like we're we don't make affiliate fees, we don't have any kind of ads, we don't we don't market data. It's like the only top line revenue, the only dime that flows through into that top line is from every one of our customers giving us money directly. Makes you know? makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk to that part a little bit. So I'm assuming you, you said you, you did start off as kind of a finance blog. You focused on content, SEO and PR, I'm assuming to grow your traffic a little bit. Um, and you decided to build a, a actual product where I see a lot of other personal finance blogs, you know, many that we've invested in as well, you know, focus on affiliate marketing, maybe some paid course consulting or, or some ad space, which you guys don't, uh, you, you know, try to avoid. Uh, what was your thought process at the time when you decided to develop the software instead of monetizing the other way? Or was it just, you know, your, that, that person in Austin said, let's build this and you, you thought it was cool and you just kept running with it? Yeah, I mean, we st I started product first and then was just kind of like, okay, now how do I, how do I get the product out there? And mm -hmm. content marketing was the solution. We went, mm -hmm. uh, we tried affiliate marketing um, where people, you know, we had affiliates. And then I affiliated for a while with a few companies back in the day. I didn't like how, and this was before it was required to, to disclose, you know, I make money from affiliates. Um, I didn't like that I had to tell the readers of the blog, like, hey, we would recommend them even if they didn't pay us. Or we, it just, I just didn't like it. I didn't like the caveat always kind of hanging over our heads. So probably, I don't know, it was a while, I'd say six, seven years in. I just mm -hmm. pulled the plug. I said, we aren't going to make, we aren't going to try and make any other money any other way. Um, and we're just going to focus here. And I feel like the product is better for it. You're stingier with your attention. And, and that I think gets you to focus correctly on problems and then get the right solutions. So um, we evolved. We weren't, you know, it wasn't like some, uh, you know, I, I was this idealist, like, oh, no, the only way we'll ever make money is this. I mean, back then, the, the idea of data harvesting and selling and repurposing and big data wasn't even a thing. And so no one was thinking about privacy in the way they are now. Over the years, I've evolved to recognize that I, I value my own and I, I like that I can provide that for our customers as well. But it's, it's been an evolution uh, throughout. Mm. Well, could you share what the current size of... Uh you don't need, you need a budget as a, uh, as a business is right now. And what has worked well for you to grow the site, you know, from the beginning and what's working for you right now, because I know the personal finance space, as you said, is right now, super, super competitive, right? So yeah. yeah. Um, how, do, how do you guys stay kind of ahead? Uh, I think staying on message has been important for us over the years. Like we, we have these four rules and we stick to it and we just become better and better at solving that, that job for our customers of helping them make better financial decisions. And uh, so we've, we've really tried to not get distracted by all these other little shiny things that come at us. Um, mm -hmm. We're currently, as far as size of the company, we have, I think, 120 employees around there. Wow. Um, we've never taken any investment money, which I'm, I'm proud of and happy uh, to report. And again, that wasn't from like an ideology standpoint or anything. Um, I've always enjoyed the fact that I could kind of steer the ship and if it sinks, I want to know I did it, you know, mm. but, um, so I've, I've enjoyed being able to be my own boss in that regard. And I also feel like that has made us need to find ways to grow that are sustainable. And, uh, because you're only ever growing with profits. 
And so we can't grow too fast and overextend and get over our skis. But we also needed to recognize that we need we can't just, you know, um, consume those profits. We have to actually like reinvest them in the business. But I feel like profits are the perfect speed with which you can grow your business because it's it's organic, right? It's it's what you've generated and it's about what you can handle from a strategy and decision standpoint. Um, you created that profit, so you're probably well suited to decide where it should go. Where if someone were to hand me, you know, fifty million dollars, I'd be like, I don't know where to start. You know, other people do, and they're they're like they they have that dialed in. They know how that goes. I would I have to get lots of advice from lots of people because that I've never generated that much profit, so mm-hmm. I don't I wouldn't feel equipped to spend it. Uh, effectively. So it's, it's kind of a rule of thumb. I feel like organic profits are about the right rate of growth. Yeah. Mm. yeah I mean, a lot of people love the idea of, you know, being handed a check of $50 million, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a, you teach personal finance all day long. Yeah. The hand that the level of responsibility of, to allocate and now how to make money from it is, is not that easy, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. what we do I, all day long. right? Yeah. I, I think it, it makes people be um, not picky enough about where the money goes. And we, we know how that is. If, if I, um, you know, if I give some, you know, if I give one of my kids $10, they're just like tight fisted about it. I give them a hundred and the, that first 10 doesn't really mean much to them. And I, I think that happens to founders. I think through some discipline financially, through following our rules, through creating scarcity by giving every dollar a job and taking from one means you have to add to another or vice versa. I think that can, create that scarcity so that the decisions can be improved but mm-hmm. a big pile of money in that way i i mean i i would find it personally very intimidating for sure yeah so as a SaaS founder do you have any you know see do you see some common mistakes or do you have any rule of thumbs for trying to budget your cash flow and while still growing your business obviously you've done it well with your own company but do you have any that you follow or you recommend uh one thing that we we only ever budget money that we have on hand so we, we don't, um, if the whole objective is to create scarcity so that your priorities are crystallized, one way to kill that scarcity, and I speak about scarcity only from a positive standpoint, is that um, you kill it by saying, well, we only have $100,000, but we're going to close this deal in three weeks. And it's just, oh, it's so close. And that deal will be worth 25000 So you start spending the twenty five. And that, that is the problem. Absolutely close the deal. Absolutely do whatever it takes to get it done. But do not spend that money. Do not budget that money. Don't have discussions about that money until you actually have gotten the check, right? That's, that's rule one. We teach that on the personal side as well. People will, they'll convince themselves out of scarcity. They aren't comfortable with running out of money. And so they'll be like, well, oh yeah, I will work some overtime and we'll do this. Or I will close on this house. Or I will close this sale. And they end up never getting comfortable with just running out and having to make tough decisions. Makes so sense. that's all we're trying to do is just make it so people run out of money uh, conceptually and force that decision-making to happen. So mm. I'd, I'd lead with that and see where it takes founders as far as advice because there's all kinds of advice. I steal it from books. I read a lot of books. Any yeah. good idea I find, I just take it from there and, and hopefully remember to give credit you know, where to do, but sure. Yeah. I like that analogy. So I'm thinking of, uh, you know, somebody who has a job or looking for a job, right? They're like, no, I'm interviewing at, at five different places. I've been to five interviews and they're already spending their, their paychecks, assuming they have the job. But until yeah. you're saying you get the job offer and you got your first paycheck, you can't really actually spend it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cool. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about lessons of what you learned. So you've run this company for over the last 15 years. Um, you know, equally, what's important is to focus on what you want to do, which you talked about in your lesson one, deciding A or B. But, you know, it's also saying no to something else, right? Um, what are some mi mistakes you've made looking back or projects that you should have said no to and growing the business that you could share with others and, and that can learn from it? Uh, yeah, one, man, one that was pretty painful was um, I, we wanted to build a new version of the software and I needed to hire an engineer. Um, my my uh, current CTO, he was on a, like a hiatus for about a year. Uh, and this, he was moon, the first part of the time he was moonlighting. And um, he's like, hey, I got to step back from this. My life's crazy. And so he stepped back from the moonlighting. He was my sole engineer. So I thought, well, I got to find someone else. And I frankly just hired too quickly. Um, it was like the, the need to have a body in a seat outweighed the quality, right? Outweighed the, like, I knew better, you know, but it, I, I let the desire to have someone working on it outweigh the fact that I had some reservations about who I ended up going with. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, he, uh, he built that, you know, my next version of the software for probably we were about 80 grand in. And then I actually ended up hiring my now CTO, bringing him on full time. And he took one look at it. And uh, he's like, we, this, we got to scrap this, like, this is going to ruin us. But wow. everything about it was bad. And, and I had, I had let it get away from me. Um, I hadn't put my foot down where I should have. And I was getting run, run over by that guy. So, um, yeah, so we bagged, you know, a year of my time and uh, 80 grand in cash and started from zero um, with our next version, which set us back <laughs> quite a bit on our deadline, which leads mm -hmm. to my next lesson. I, I, would, I will never, ever, ever again tell my customers when they can expect a new version. It, mm -hmm. there, there was, there's no upside to it. Zero. If you hit your date, <laughs> Mm -hmm. Then they're like, well, good, because that's what you said you would do. It's like you met minimum. Exactly. If you're two days early, they won't care. Yeah. But if you're a day late, it's, it's pitchforks, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it makes sense. Makes like, sense. Like there's no upside. You only have downside. And we experienced mm -hmm. that when we had, to, we had to junk our entire, you know, years of work. We still had that same deadline that I had foolishly given. It was horrible. So don't. What, don't what, do you tell your, what do you tell them when they ask, hey, when can we expect a new deadline? What's your pitch? I say, I don't give deadlines That's at it. the end. We're hard at work, okay. you know, yeah. okay. I don't give deadlines. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Just looking back at that moment. So, you know, your CTO quit, what would you have done differently? Um, like now that you think about it, would you have, you know, that's a key man in your company. Do you just leave it as is and just wait and, uh, you know, ride out the, the pain of it until you find the right person or do you assume more responsibility? Um, like what would you have done differently? At least you had something moving or uh, trying to. Yeah, I, I uh, wouldn't begin work until the right person was there. Like, I mean, hiring the wrong, you know, what if I, I'm, I'm really glad that I got the wrong person so that I could hire Taylor, my CTO, and he's the right guy still. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I'm glad how it worked out on the end, but looking back and only kind of in the context of losing that money and that years of work mm -hmm. or the year of work, I would have um, maybe taken another month or two or three to find the right person and we would have been, we would have been good. It's, it never is faster to hire wrong ever. And, uh, that, so yeah, you take as long as it takes till you get the right person. Um, mm -hmm. also don't, you know, 
another bit is people tend to partner wait. I mean, like partner early, like marry early in this business sense. And, and it's like uh, you and I, we, we know each other from this one interview and then I see you at a coffee shop and then we get to talking and then suddenly you're like, Hey, you should partner with it. Like, it's this weird, like low bar of, of marrying a business partner that we have. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that comes from. I think people are afraid to be by themselves and have their own idea fail and they're looking for validation. And so these two partners can kind of, he and she can kind of like cross validate each other, keep each other motivated and you're just not as lonely and so you end up partnering because you don't want to be lonely and that's a strange reason to partner so i would just caution people to partner slowly i i do have you know taylor my cto he owns part of the business but he he earned that over years of working i mean at that point we knew we liked each other we knew we wanted to get married for you know in Mm. this business and yoke completely together you know um it's too tough to unwind that stuff and too expensive. So that's one other, I mean, I'm kind of off the rails a little bit, but that's one Uh other piece of advice is partner up slowly, you know? I agree. I think it's that excitement of, you know, having a shared vision. Yeah, let's build this together. And, exactly. uh, you know, let's just, you know, 50-50, right? Right off the bat. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we've made that, all made that mistake. Or I have at least, I know, and at least 10 years ago, my first venture. So yeah. uh, not, not again. And, and I agree. That's what, you know, now the same way is like, you know, let's work together for, you know, six months, a year. And then we can talk about it. Okay, we'll see what kind of value you bring. Do we see the long term? It's like dating for for a year before. It's like Absolutely. before getting married, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've been running, like I said, the, this company now for about fifteen years now. What's your goal? What's your vision to building out the company over the next five plus years? Do you plan to sell it or just keep running it forever and hand it to your kids? Yeah. Oh, my kids. I, I've got, I have seven kids, so I have like I have wow. so many options. You know, on who <laughs> I could. Uh, it's like which one of you? No. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's interesting. Thinking about it from a legacy standpoint mm. is a totally different beast. I have no experience there at all, you know. But mm. um, I, yeah, I've been answering this question for years, you know, dec- a decade, and okay. uh, my answers always stayed the same: is I, I don't, um, I'm not planning on selling it anytime soon. Um, I'm not, you know, I would never say, "Oh, that's off the table." I think you just don't know. You just don't know mm-hmm. what'll happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I sure enjoy running it and I sure enjoy the team and it's profitable. And so it's enjoyable to keep having that feed the family and feed these other 120 families. And, um, and we're, we're in it for the long haul. So we don't have these kind of misaligned goals. Like our customers just want us to be around mm-hmm. and we want to be around for our customers because it's profitable and, and enjoyable. And that seems to be a pretty good pretty good relationship. Um, so at this, at this juncture, yeah, I don't have any desire to, to sell. I could see myself backing off a little. I could see myself diverting time, you know, budgeting my time in that way a little bit differently in the future, but, uh, I enjoy the work, you know, and I don't work crazy hours. I I finish up by four usually. And, um, I get time in my wood shop almost every day. So (laughs) yeah, life's good. I I don't know if I'd want to change much, honestly. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you have seven kids to to take care of, right? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm spending, so busy. I don't even yeah. know what's going, you know, what's going on anyway. So yeah, yeah, it's probably like more of a break for for a bit than anything, right? Yeah, I'm like, honey, I'm going to uh to work, you know. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now there, it's a it's a full house, but it's it it adds all kind of kinds of richness to to life. So I wouldn't trade it at all. That's awesome. 
Uh, final question from my end. So I get this a lot because I have young people who want to get into the investment space. Um, you have they have twenty five thousand. They have fifty thousand dollars saved. They worked as a in finance or an engineer. They've paid off all their personal debt. Maybe where are you investing your capital? What do you suggest to them at at the moment? Hmm, that's funny. I know everybody has their own personal risk profile, but I, I just want to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll disclose my risk profile is very low. Mm. Uh, I, I don't take a lot of risk. I well, my business is risky. You know, something could happen, and and mm. there goes all that work and all that value. So I already mm. carry plenty of risk in in my day to day work. So mm. when it comes to my investments uh, outside of this, um, I like paid for real estate that you don't, you don't even have any money borrowed on it. It's super boring. Um, I like uh, bonds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I um, yeah I my house is paid for, so I I like that the shelter is is mine. Um, I like stuff that doesn't oscillate a ton or fluctuate in value a lot mm. because I recognize that I'm riding a risky, risky train right here. Mm. You know? mm. um, I'm almost 40, so maybe I'm not supposed to be as as um, conservative or maybe maybe that's a sign that I am. I don't know. But um, if I'll, here's one principle. If it's worrying you, if it's distracting you, if it's giving you like mental overhead, then you are over your risk threshold. I agree. So, yeah. I agree, and I think you know a lot of people like to 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 day trade, or I think even you know when Bitcoin was coming out, they were you know checking it every day. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I can handle that. It was just too much. Uh, you know, just such a mind share taking, like having to check it, and you know, what's going up, what's going down, and you can't control it. Yeah. And I think it was uh, Wozniak, right? I think that's when he mentioned something mm -hmm. about that. I think you know the quote. Um, yeah. So are you investing in, in other real estate you say, or in, in buying them in cash or is it just kind of your own property where you would invest? Just my own. Yeah. Just my own, yeah. like little, you know, little mm. rentals, little townhomes. Just, yeah. I mean, there aren't a lot of deals. Uh, I'm in Utah. There aren't a lot of deals here. Um, mm. so I've slowed down a lot, you know, in that, mm. well, it's already slow. Anyway, when you're paying in cash, you have to go slow, which I mm. think is, um, I say slow. I mean, I think it's a blessing, but, um, it requires you to be, uh, to, yeah, just not get over your skis again. And yeah. I think, so I think it's a good rule of thumb. It's also completely, uh, like overhead wise. Um, I just have no, I give no thought to it, you exactly. know, and, um, mm. I have a good property manager and that there, cause there is work there, but I have a good yeah. property manager and, and he runs it and, uh, keeps me up to date every other month on something maybe. Um, right. But yeah, when you aren't assuming more risk by borrowing, then you can be a lot more calm and steady on how things are going. I, I, I do own some Bitcoin, I should say, because mm. my, I mean, a tiny little bit, because I just kind of mm. thought, well, that would like if everyone agreed all at once in some weird mm. way that we can never predict, like, oh, Bitcoin's mm. a good value store, then mm. there would be a good value store, the end, you know? So mm. there's a bit of me that's like, oh, I'd like to have a little bit of that. But hmm. like you said, I'm not sitting there every day like, has it gone up or down? You know, it's just yeah. bought it and then you just let it sit. You know. Okay. So you had a little bit of risk uh, at that time of your appetite, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, it, and mm -hmm. it's like, I would be totally comfortable losing it, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's, that's just what you got to be clear with. Exactly. So. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Jesse. This has been great. Where can our audience get in touch with you, learn more about uh, improving their own budgeting and finances and whatnot? Yeah, uh, you can email me. It's jesse at ynab.com, Y-N-A-B.com. 
Um, I'm not on Twitter or, or, uh, anywhere. So, um, yeah, shoot me an email if you want to, you know, have any questions and I'm happy to discuss. And then anything that, you know, that people have heard that's interesting as far as how we think you should think about money. Um, you know, you need a budget.com. We offer, we do about 150 classes every week, all online. They're about 20, 20 to 25 minutes long. Do one class. It's, it's 20 minutes of like not a syllable out of place. Like every, like every second of it is not a waste of time. There's no, I mean, you're in there, it's 20 minutes. It gets you right to what you need to know. And you kind of see how we think and then how that thinking is translated into the software. So it's time well spent if you want to, you know, give the software a shot. Um, or you can just check out how we do things and maybe that could translate into your own SaaS business. I think teaching sells and we're really good at teaching. And so um, mm-hmm. you look at what we're doing there and yeah, maybe it would translate over to, you know, to even enterprise sales and things like that. Okay. Awesome, Jesse. I really appreciate yeah. that. And we'll put those show notes in the, those links in our show notes as well for their audience. Okay. okay. Thanks, Akil. Thanks, I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening in to today's episode. Don't forget to join us for another episode where we interview top leaders and experts in the business and SaaS industry. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you please give us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be really, really appreciated. Otherwise, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or improvements for this podcast, please feel free to send it directly to me on our website at horizoncapital.com. Or you can just tweet me at Akil Jabbar. Thanks again, and hope to see you guys on the next episode.